Hey everybody, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I'm Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach, and we're here to talk about DC Comics, specifically the DC Comics released on January 18th, 2017, the last DC Comics release day before the Trump administration. So, uh, if you haven't read those comics yet, stop now, read them, come back, and because um, we're going to spoil them for you. Uh, note, I have a cold, so I sound like garbage this week, but Vince and Zach sound as mellifluous as they always do, so... <laughs> enjoy their dulcet tones in my nasal bullshit over here uh also we said this at the end of the show last week but if some of you are naughty and don't listen to the very end of the show each week you would have missed this we're doing a little contest if you rate the show on itunes and send us either via email to brian at multiversitycomics.com or as someone did this week tweet at the three of us with your link to a screen grab of your review you are entered into a contest to win some dc hardcovers i have approximately 15 DC hardcovers. We'll split them up into three groups, and uh, three folks will be walking away with some uh, some books. So do that. Uh, we'll, we'll accept entries until, I guess, maybe the second week of February. So you got a little bit of time, but get those in there, and hopefully you can win some free comics from us as a thank you for listening and for rating the show. As I said, five-star reviews will not uh, weigh you more heavily in the uh, in the contest. Or will it? Or will it? What was that, Vince? I, I didn't hear your cough joke. I said fake news. Okay. <laughs> well played. All right. Uh, hey, it's alternative facts, guys. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's start by talking about Justice League versus Suicide Squad number five, written by Joshua Williamson, illustrated by Robson Roca. Um, so this is the penultimate issue of the crossover. A lot happened in it, kind of. A lot for this series happened in it. Uh, basically, Eclipso is everywhere. Uh, the, the 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 sun has gone all Eclipso. Everyone's all clipsed out. Uh, what? The sun. It was an eclipse. Yeah. I just got that. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, so that's... That's what happened in the issue. What did you guys think of the issue? This uh, this might have been the one that made me really like this crossover. Well, you're I you're like a mark this. for Eclipso. I'm a huge Eclipso mark. <laughs> no, I really liked this. I thought, um, I thought the art was really good. I'm not usually like a huge huge Robson Roca fan, uh-huh. but I thought it was really good here. Um, like you, like you said, kind of a lot happened in terms of like plot and and advancement. It was a little less decompressed. I just thought this was really good. I thought it was a good use of Eclipse. So I can't really think of that many times. I know we talked about that. Like other than the James Robinson Justice League, I thought Max Lord was really good in this. Yeah, yeah Max Lord is really interesting in this. Um, and and you you always get the feeling that he's got another ace up his sleeve, you know, which is which is the best the best way to write Max Lord. I think. Yes. Yeah, I like that Max Lord is incredibly powerful and yet also subject to Eclipso's powers, so mm-hmm. he's not just this all powerful villain that they're gonna have to invent some crazy way out of. There is a way to stop him. Unfortunately, it's also the way that makes him incredibly powerful. So, um, uh-huh. yeah, it, it's been fun. What do you guys think of this uh, this sort of sub-Justice League that Batman has started with uh, Lobo and Killer Frost and Killer Croc and uh, Captain Boomerang <laughs> and Deadshot? Nah. Nah. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what I'm a huge mark for. What are you a huge I'm mark a, for? I'm a huge sucker for the Justice League cover homage. That happens mid issue. Okay. When when Batman when Oh yeah. Yeah, when Batman's standing there with his like with the mini little faux Justice League that he's mm-hmm. put together. I just I love when comics do that, you know? Yeah. Like to 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 a person who's seasoned in comics, they recognize that and it's it's a little bit more impactful. Um, yeah. 
I, I'm I'm a sucker for for things like that. Yeah, I I will say this has me really excited for JLA because I like Killer Frost and Lobo in this a lot. Yeah. The other the Suicide Squad characters not so much, but I like I like those two a lot, and I think it, it gets me a little bit more excited for JLA. I yeah. agree. Yeah, I'm interested to see how JLA folds out of this i i had thought for a while that some of those characters like um like the ray and vixen and whatnot would be uh would be showing up in this in this crossover i don't think that's going to happen though i think that that that's going to uh when they say spin out they really just mean batman killer frost and lobo which is fine it's just uh, yeah slightly different cool core Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think that uh, a lot of what happened in this issue is what I think people complain about superhero comics when it does, but t- doesn't bother me. Like, for instance, nobody thought Lobo was actually dead, right? But it was a well-reasoned it was a well-reasoned story beat to have his head blow up, and I feel like people get mad sometimes when things happen in the way that they expect them to happen. And as long as it's done well, that doesn't bother me. And I thought that was done pretty well, so I was I was fine with that. Yeah. Any other thoughts on this book? I just can't believe that I like Lobo. <laughs> I know. I think that's the big takeaway here. He's the main man. What's that to like? <laughs> um, what do you guys think is going to happen in the finale? Um. Besides well, the Justice League winning. <laughs> that's, uh... I, I, I imagine... Bat- I imagine Batman will get the, uh... The go-ahead to create his own Justice League of America, I would say. <laughs> Since we know that that spins out of this. Right. That's all I... I yeah. I don't know. I mean, they'll win, obviously. <laughs> I think it's going to end with Bruce Wayne and Amanda Waller sitting in a restaurant alone together and <laughs> saying dumb things to each other. That would actually be an amazingly <laughs> trollish ending. That would be great. Um, but the difference is the difference from the the Suicide Squad in credit scene is that Batman will be in full costume, <laughs> but it'll just it'll still be a restaurant. And and unfortunately, uh, Justice League versus Suicide Squad number six will not be nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! This is the world we live in. Okay, uh, up next, uh, let, let's talk about Justice League of America: The Ray Rebirth. Number one, um, written by Steve. Guys, Orla- I like these books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, written, Sorry, <laughs> that's right. Uh, written by Steve Orlando. Um, even uh, Jody Hauser is credited on the cover, but not in the interior. Uh, with art by Stephen Byrne, and uh, yeah. Well, um, so Vince, you like this book? Yeah, I, I've liked all of these books so far. Um. I mean, I never, I never not like a, a Steve Orlando book, I guess, you know, but like these issues for me have been so demonstrative of why I think he's a good writer. and He's a good writer of, of superheroes because again, he's taking the core elements of the superhero and matching them to the character and, um, and doing, and doing some bold things to make the character stand out. You know, the Ray, I mean, Apologies to any massive Ray fans out there. I'm listening. But he's he's never really had like that unique of a personality, or, or he never stood out very much as a character. And I feel like Orlando's given the time, at least right now, to really sculpt personalities out of these characters and give them a little bit of of flavor. And hopefully, that's not lost when JLA actually starts properly right but um but he's doing an excellent job of it in these little one shots zach what do you think 
Yeah, I agree. I thought this was really good. Um, I was a little worried at the beginning with just kind of how, um, I don't even know the right word for it, but like the, the mom was just so like comical and her kind of like villainy, if you could even call it that, you know? Yeah. Um, I was just like, wow, this is pretty over the top. But outside of that, I, the rest of the comic was great. I thought it was, um, I thought it was really fun um, seeing him kind of like progress. And I thought that the, I thought it was really smart to have this kind of, and it, like it was both like topical and it played into the like character's history to have this kind of like patriotic character be the villain you know yeah. this like sons of liberty guy yeah considering like he has like a long history in the in the freedom fighters i thought that was like very smart and and like i said topical yeah, the I mom. Yeah. The the mom was incredibly over the top. You know, like when uh when he asked for candles on the cake and she was basically like you stupid bastard, you can never have candles. What the fuck is wrong with you? You know, it was just very very over the top. I I, I really liked that Orlando tied in kind of the the like freedom fighters aspect of the ray um by having a, a patriotic themed villain, one that kind of like uh, was very topical and, and highlighted some of the like the issues we're seeing today. I just thought that was a cool take, um, both on the character's history and like current events. So I liked that a lot. Well, we have Stephen Byrne on art uh, after seeing him last week on Justice League Power Rangers, and uh, I think he does a really really nice job with this. He's coloring the issue himself, and you know, obviously the color is a huge part of this story because so much of the early part of the story takes place in the darkness that. The color palette is very subdued, but then when it pops, Lordy does it pop. And uh, I, I think Byrne is just doing such great work right now. Yeah, he's uh, he's quickly becoming one of my favorites, for sure. I think we first, at least I first became aware of him because of that Grayson annual he did. Mm, yes. Now didn't didn't he didn't he have like a Boom Studios book? Um, oh man, talk amongst yourselves. He did a Dark Horse uh, OGN. Okay. Uh, and he's actually doing a sequel to that. He told me at New York Comic Con, so that's coming out soon. But he seems to be getting a fair amount of DC work right now, which is great because I think he's uh, I think he's really great. He's um, he's actually friends in real life, maybe studio mates. I could be making that up with. Declan Shalvey, and I think you can see a bit of a similarity in their styles. Cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so the Ray is probably the least uh, n established character that we're getting a one-shot for thus far. I guess Killer Frost next week will be similarly, um, you know, unestablished. But as, in far, as far as the New 52 goes... We had a different Ray, who I believe is just going to be written out of continuity and just, you yeah. know, will die on the way back to his old planet or whatever. Um, but what are you guys, were either of you guys fans of the character coming in or, or were you just more or less, you know, you you read him in whatever book he happened to appear in, etc.? I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know. I mean, outside of like team books, I guess I remember the. I guess I remember the book that uh, wasn't there at near the start of the New Fifty Two. Wasn't there a um, uh, oh who wrote that? It Palmi was Palmi 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 Gray. Yeah, 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 yeah. They did all of those like, uh, freedom fighter characters. Yeah. Yep. Phantom but, Lady and uh, somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, but other than that, I don't really have any reference point for him. Okay. I, he always reminds me of sort of the uh, the just prior to Grant Morrison taking over JLA Justice League team. Like, you know, when they had 4,000 members and there were like three different books going on, they were all kind of Justice League related. I remember him as part of that era. I always thought he was kind of an interesting character, and I'm glad that they're giving him the spotlight here because I think that they're 
able to do things with him both in terms of uh move set and I mean and power set and also just in terms of um characterization that we're not seeing a lot of other places right now. So I'm excited that he's part of the team. Yeah. Yeah, same. Uh, anything else to add before we jump into the rest of the books this week? No, I think that takes it. Okay, well, let's uh, let's start with Aquaman number fifteen then, uh, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by this was uh, Philippe Briones, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. another Briones classic. Yeah, this wraps up the Deluge arc, and uh, did so, I-, I think, pretty masterfully. Yeah, this was really good. Um, I liked I liked this a lot. It's crazy to think that this has essentially been like one, you know, sixteen issue arc if you count the rebirth issue and it it doesn't really feel like you would think with something like that it would feel really decompressed, but the pacing's just been so good. This this was a really satisfying issue, I thought. Yeah, for sure. Um it, it it for me it was the high point of Aquaman actually um just having Arthur sort of quasi surrender to Obama at the end you mean the Obungler uh, <laughs> yeah yeah he really you know if Obama wasn't careful he could have really obungled the situation with the Justice League here and uh, no but but that was really just like that was the perfect political power move that like. That is what you expect from Aquaman, you know? Like, yeah. Is that not quintessential Aquaman? No, it was great. And then and then Superman, like, kind of swoops in and, you know, well, we always believed in you, Arthur, and blah, blah, blah. And he uses – Superman uses his super hearing to overhear the, the U.S. plans for peace, which is, like, I love when and, – and I feel like Abnett is someone who does this all the time. I love when there's a little throwaway use of the powers like that. Yes. Like, yeah. Like, you know, most of the writers wouldn't wouldn't even bother with that. But Abnett's like, Superman is going to be the one to tell this to Aquaman because he can hear it from, you know, a quarter mile away or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, and it just it's just this little, you know, it's just it's just a little bit of like world building, relationship building, um, character defining. It's great, yeah. I love the way he writes this. I will say my one critique of the issue is that early on, there was that classic comics thing of Arthur narrating the entire plot of the comic uh, <laughs> over action, which uh-huh. I, I understand why it's there, and uh, it probably wouldn't have worked as well if it was just silent, but I thought it was a little over the top. But I, I'm also... I'm. Uh, I feel like my, my years of, of covering Mignola comics has made me really averse to um, to too many words on the page, you know. Um, but it was still a great issue, and man, I'm so happy we have a great Aquaman comic. Yeah. I thought it was a little weird that Nemo is 4chan now, <laughs> but, uh, but apart from that. Is that really that surprising? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was just making a joke. I know. I know. Um, okay. Anything else to add, Zach, before we move along? Nope. It's good. Good Aquaman. It is good Aquaman. All right. That brings us to uh, the book that Vince has been chomping at the bit to talk about <laughs> for over a week now. Batman number 15, written by Tom King, illustrated by Mitch Jarrods. Um so Vince is going to have what I think is going to be the hot take here. So why don't we let Vince start, and and we'll just react to your your hot take. All right. So I'm going to start off by saying I still think that for the most part the dialogue reads like shit to me. Okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say that. Beyond that. I kind of liked this issue, you guys. <laughs> like, I kind of liked where everything went. I like how he wrapped this up. Um, it was really surprising because um, Tom King's Batman has been full of questionable plot choices and plot devices 
that have not paid off to this point. But I felt like the the Bruce and Selena story had a f- couple choices that seemed questionable, only they actually paid off now. I'm talking about like the whole thing with Selena supposedly killing 237 people. You find out that it was Holly Robinson in the end. Selena was covering for her. Um, just the whole thing with... <laughs> the, I, even though I don't like this line, at the very end, Bat- Bruce says that Selena stole the night. <laughs> oh, I hated that line so <laughs> she much. She stole the night. Yes, I hate that line, but I like that idea. I think that's a really... That's a, that's a really succinct... Um, these two issues were a really succinct uh, display of how Batman or Bruce could get swept up in this and then regret it by the end of the night. And I think that's that's kind of... Like, for once, Tom King gets something perfectly right about Bruce and Selina, I think. Like, I think that paid off in a way that totally makes sense for Batman and Catwoman to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely does. And, you know, it's interesting. I do think, like, my biggest problem with this book is is language. Like, I, you may recall my favorite issue of the series so far was that Gotham Girl interlude issue that Ivan Reyes drew, and I really liked that that kind of like closing monologue. Um, <clears throat> and this kind of tries to do that a little bit, but it's just like I, I'm kind of like you, Vince. I really like that the the she stole the night idea, like the but he does. Tom King does that thing where he's just like so verbose and he just repeats everything. You know, it's like, she stole it. What does she steal? The night, <laughs> the night, she stole the night. Like if you say it one time, it's like, it's powerful and it means something. But when you kind of just like, when you repeat it that way and just kind of beat the reader over the head with it, it loses some of that. I mean, it loses a lot of it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. That's such a good point. It It's, it's aiming for the same sort of thing that Bendis does. And he would probably tell you that it's quote unquote naturalistic dialogue or something like that, but it's really not. Um, Even if people think that that's the way that people talk, they don't really. And even if they did, that's not how our comic book characters should talk. I don't, I mean, (laughs) who am I, but some joker on a podcast, but like, it (laughs) just doesn't, it doesn't read well either. I don't think. And, and no, I think... Can we... yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no I'm done. Oh. oh, I was just going to say, can we talk about how the open, the beginning of the issue sounds like a Dr. Seuss book? <laughs> <laughs> read, read it in your most whimsical voice if you have it in front of you. How about, how about this? It, it was on Do a you... boat. It was on, oh, it was on the street. street. No, here, here, you, you be one, I'll be the other. You, you be the, the, okay. the, light, okay. the light boxes. I'll be the darker boxes. Okay. It was on a boat. It was on the street. You were in disguise dressed as an older woman. No, no, you... Sorry. Okay, sorry. No, no, you were in disguise. I caught you stealing diamonds. Tried to steal diamonds. We're all fucked up here. Anyway, it's it's bad. This is the plot to La La Land. I just realized that. Still haven't seen it. The way you moved. The way you smiled. All right, so let me get my, my two cents in here. Um, the best part of this issue, hands down, were the flashback panels. Yeah. Like, hands down, the best part of the issue. Um, I did not share your enthusiasm for this issue. I thought it was absolutely tone deaf to who these characters are. I can't imagine, especially I can't imagine King's Bruce telling Selena that he loves her. That 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 rang incredibly false to me. Uh, King's Bruce only loves himself, and and shitty dialogue. Um, you know, it just. 
I think visually it, it looked really good in different parts. It just, um, you know, I I kind of like the Jim Gordon interlude because I'm I'm a Gordon Mark, but I don't know. There was just something about the issue that really did not ring true to me. I'm also tired of of Bruce getting clearly killed and not dying. You know, like his throat was slit right in front of him. He should yeah. be he should be pretty pretty messed up there. Um, yeah how how did the, how did she not finish the job? Right yeah it's just it's just a little silly. But you know it, I I also think that this is one of those cases where if how can I put this there's a big part of me that I think I would have a hard time liking this comic just based on how much it's hurt me in the past. <laughs> you know. Um, I'm trying to have an open mind about it. I really am week after week, but there's just something about it that really bothers me. I I think this comic it feels cynical in a way that that Batman comics shouldn't feel, and it uh, yeah. I I was, I I do not think it was it was very good. Yeah, I I have one question and one more hot take. Okay, first first question. Those flashback panels are they supposed to be like, like is the the old timey one supposed to be like their original meeting, and then the second one supposed to be like year one or something? It's been a while since I've read year one, so I can't really remember. I don't know if it's supposed to be referencing anything in particular, or just okay, or it was just a, a fun artistic choice. Okay, because it it almost like the the styles kind of like. Those are like the two biggest stories I could I could think of in terms of like they, that they might reference and the art style kind of mirrors that. So I, I wondered if maybe that's what it was, but I didn't know if you guys would know. And then the hot take is Tom King's Batman Don Draper. Oh, he looks certainly like him. <laughs> Just like those those opening pages where they're they're basking in the afterglow there, like yeah. that is John Hamm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You mean you mean the guy that should have been hired to play an older Bruce Wayne in? Yes, that is what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when when Bat, if it was truly Don Draper, when Cat said "I love you, Bat," he'd say "I don't think about you at all." So we know it's not really Don <laughs> Draper. <laughs> it does make reading that closing monologue a lot better if you read it as Don Draper. <laughs> That's he would say she stole the night. Yeah, he would. And then there'd be some there'd be some ad campaign, you know, six months later that would be based around that phrase. Yeah, like women's underwear would yeah. be like yeah, he'd be staring out the he'd like yeah, the spark would go off in his head and then he'd be like in the boardroom and he'd be like She can't you know, he'd be like he'd like tell the story, you know, that she stole Man. the night. why can't this book be that? Why can't it be Bat Madman? <laughs> all right let, let's do this so Al, alfred is clearly the uh roger sterling john slattery character here um you know debonair older man still pulling chicks whenever he wants to um i Cat guess woman is, Catwoman is maggie sif the um I, I forget her character's name but the 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 jewish uh, uh from the department store yeah 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 um, clearly like yeah pete campbell is probably hmm. kite man <laughs> <laughs> oh man well is, i, I, I say burt cooper is definitely commissioner gordon because he knows his secret identity but <laughs> yes. never but never actually betrays him um <laughs> who is betty betty is dick grayson <laughs> Oh man! Right? The, the the protege who will turn out to be greater than her master eventually and have more heart. Uh huh. Um. Oh wait, you you mean Peggy? I'm sorry, Peggy. Yes, Peggy. Pe- Duke, I'm sorry. Duke is Duke is Peggy. No. Duke is Peggy. Duke is Peggy. Duke is Peggy. Okay. Betty is um. Gotham girl. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, because she's blonde and she's losing her mind. Yes. <laughs> and um, her powers are killing her. <laughs> yep. Her powers of beauty and smoking? <laughs> uh, who's Joan? 
Oh. See, I would have um, said Jonah's Catwoman. Jonah's Catwoman? Oh, yeah. But, yeah, but they don't really have a thing, though. No. There's, but some there's that tension there. there. There's that scene in the bar in, like, season four, maybe it is. Yeah, when he's he's got the hat on. And yeah. He does, he, Makes he does the voice. And, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Man, there's some good. there's some heat this there. Is... All right. Yeah. Well, be, because uh, spoiler alert for for five minutes from now, because the the Laments three is probably on hiatus, <laughs> we will start a Bat Mad Men uh, <laughs> podcast doing doing all of this. So 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 Goth so Gotham is Teddy Chaw then, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Teddy Chaw Gaga. Who's baby Jean? <laughs> Damien. <laughs> of course. Of course. Oh, there is there is a case to be made that uh that I guess uh Sally would be Dick Grayson. And then yeah. Bobby is Jason Todd because no one gives a shit about him. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, and then uh I, baby Jean does have to be Damien, but where, where does Tim fall into this? Well, maybe Tim is the um, second Bobby. <laughs> Tim, oh, Tim is um, Tim is uh, uh, Ginsburg. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, oh, and his his brother, the one who who kills himself, oh. is um, it, is Lincoln Tom, March. Lincoln March, exactly. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I said Tommy Elliot. Oh, okay. Same, uh, oh, that same, works too. They both work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Court of Owls is definitely um, uh, what's the um, what's the company that buys them out in the end? Oh, uh, I'm trying to think. The one that's always like o- always over their shoulder and then eventually acquires them. Yeah. Um, Erickson. McCann yeah, Erickson. McCann McCann Erickson. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. This has gone oh, on entirely man, This too is the long. tangent that keeps on giving. <laughs> it really is. Uh, yeah, okay. Alright, that brings us to Cave Carson as a cybernetic guy, number four, written by Gerard Way and John Rivera, illustrated by Michael Ivan Oming with a backup by, by Tom Scioli. Um, I'm still loving this book, guys. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and it's really gross, too, at times, which is interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that about it. I think Guys, that... I would pay probably $4 for the for the backup. Well, let's get. We'll get to that in a minute, because um, the backup is fantastic. But I, I want to say something about about Oming's art and specifically the way he works with uh, Nick Filardi, who's the uh, colorist here. I think that this is such an intriguing looking book. Like, there's that the page that has the the the, the credits on it. You get Cave looking at like essentially memories running through the cave, running through the area, and like they're all. They're all showing up in these like holographic images, and there's kind of the pop art circles behind it, and there's like four or five conflicting bits of art style all happening on one page, and it all works perfectly. This is such a gorgeous looking book. Yeah. So good. And Wild Dog is great. Yeah, and he tries to kill himself. He does try and kill himself. Um... (laughs) Vince couldn't wait for that (laughs) and he tries to kill himself guys (laughs) golly gee holy suicide Batman Uh. (laughs) oh yeah uh yeah just very just so good yeah young animal even as it's so good the Tom Scioli backup really does like overshadow it for me (laughs) Etrigan the Angel, guys? Oh, yeah. God. Perfect. Perfect. And that amazing Batgirl Wonder Woman's lasso story? Yeah. Yeah, Lassie. <laughs> Can you take me Lassie. to her? Yeah. Lassie? I mean, come on. And the fact that Batgirl's, like, mask is kind of her glasses, mm-hmm. it's just, it's so perfect. Mm-hmm. Everything about this comic is great. I love it so much. Thank you, DC, for letting Young Animal be a thing. We don't say that enough. We really uh, don't. That brings us to Green Arrow, number 15. I can't believe we're at 15 of these books already, guys. 
Um, written by Ben <laughs> Percy, illustrated by Juan Ferreira. Um, this issue did not have as much cheesy expository dialogue as the last issue, although it did have some. Um, this this book is enjoyable. I, I don't think this book is great. I've said this in the past. This is a good book. It's not a great book. I do like that they're not making... I feel like there's just so many Green Arrow stories where he is the misunderstood vigilante and the entire city's against him. And the book started off that way, and it seems to be moving away from that now. And I'm glad about that. Yeah, I'll tell you what I love about it. Um, I love that, to me, no other book in Rebirth, I mean, even though Superman is a far better comic, I think that Green Arrow is the, the comic that you point to to say... This is actively trying to do everything that D- that's good about DC, specifically through a Green Arrow lens, and it's making a conscious effort every issue to do that. And I like it's the one that everyone was excited about before Rebirth because it was going to put Ali and Dinah back together. It was going to give him the Van Dyke again, you know. Um, and it's it's done that, and those are superficial things. But now you've got. Emiko coming back as Red Arrow. So now it's like, now it's taking an opportunity to put a legacy character in there with a recognizable name that's been used in the past and repurpose it. Go, and so hopefully going forward, we have a new Red Arrow. And I want to say, is it February or March when um, Roy shows up too? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if nothing else... And and I think this is a good book, but it's not. It's never it's never been great yet. If nothing else, it's doing all these very DC, very rebirthy type things that fans want, mm-hmm. and I like that about it. Yeah, and and I know we always like really you know, gush on this issue when Otto Schmidt is illustrating, but what this. This issue was really good. This was Juan Ferreira, correct? Yes. Yeah, this issue has some really good art. Art. I'm th- I'm thinking in particular of the the scene where the the guy in the in the tank thing is driving at the police officer, mm-hmm. and it and it kind of like tracks it like horizontally overhead, and then has the action like sandwiched in like within that, and it just looks so good. It's really dynamic. Um, this book has been very blessed in terms of like its art team. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And also like sometimes the social issues are a little heavy handed, but I do like appreciate, you know, like Green Arrow is like a, a character very, you know, he has a strong history in terms of like social issues and, and political commentary. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it makes a lot of sense for the character and the book. And I think that the way they're establishing the book, it makes sense that Ollie would be um, the type of person who, because he was kind of a spoiled rich kid, would have time to indulge in the social issues that his parents probably had no interest in because they were too busy becoming multimillionaires, you know? It it seems like a character beat that feels realistic for him. Mm -hmm. It's good. Very good. I don't think it's great. I think it's good. Yep. All right, that brings us to uh, Green Lantern's number uh, 15, I guess. I don't have my copy in front of me. This is obviously written by Sam Humphreys. Who, who illustrated this one? It was it was not one of the usual was, artists, right? No, I'm actually... Min, I'm going to butcher Mi- this. Miguel Mendonca? Yes, Mendonca? With, with thumbnails by Tom Derenick. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, and... Um, Hey, before we talk about this, did you guys realize that this is the 52nd episode of our show? I did. I did not. 52 guys. 52. Oh, man, although, number. although we had like we got a reboot now. We had we had we had 20 something DC 3 clees before this. Oh wow. So okay. we're we're in the 80s in reality. Jeez. Uh we'll have to do a 100th episode spectacular and then reboot to number 1. Yeah. Uh get a younger version of me in here and uh <laughs> we'll see what happens from there. Oh, and I'm gonna be skinny and hot. 
<laughs> man. And Zach's the old standby. He'll be the same. Zach is the I'll one the that Jergens. can remember. All, old, yeah. reliable Jurgens. <laughs> Zach can remember the podcast before the reboot. And he's trying to he's trying to convince us all that it was a... Uh... No, you guys. You, Vince, you were fat. You don't, you don't remember this? And Brian, you weren't black and beautiful. <laughs> uh, anyway. Stay tuned for the reboot. Yeah. Number, number 15. Uh, no Leminski. No Leminski, <laughs> and that gave me Strike one. anxiety. Yeah. I, I, I think we, we should get one of those things you see outside of a trailer park, like days since a tornado. Like, <laughs> issues since the Leminski. <laughs> Leminski lives on in our hearts, you guys. I mean, of course he does. You know. Um, so this was the anxiety issue that we've been kind of hearing about for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And um, how how do you think that that was? It, this, I mean, this issue is almost entirely revolving around Jessica Cruz's crippling anxiety. Yeah. How do you think that that was handled? I I thought it was handled really well. Yeah, I, I don't think it was handled poorly. I think it's very tough to do this kind of an issue and not have it come off. Like, I, I don't know, speaking of Green Arrow, I don't know if you guys have gone back in the last 10 or so years and read any of the Neil Adams, uh, Green Arrow, Green Lantern comics, but whenever they try to do something... The hard-traveling heroes? Yeah, like, whenever you try and read those now, it's so heavy-handed when they try and work in quote, serious issues to the comic. And I, I think there's, there's always a little bit of that whenever you have trying to take a real subject that affects real people and put it into a comic. That said, I think they did about as good of a job as you could expect given those circumstances. Um, Vince, what did you think? Yeah, well, um, frankly, as somebody who is diagnosed with chronic anxiety, <laughs> um, I thought the... It's obviously not going to be realistic when you're dealing with a superhero that has anxiety. Like, right. <laughs> like, obvious, like, that's just, you're already starting from a position of um, difficulty there. But I think the things that she was thinking and saying to herself in her narration or in her mind are very much the same things that a person with anxiety tells themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think from from that standpoint, I think he 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 nailed it. Um, it's it is it is it's weird to see a superhero who accomplishes all these amazing feats deal with that. But of course, it's also interesting that they're not immune to the same sorts of um, psychological disorders that we are. So yeah, I don't think I don't think it's gonna seem hokey. I, I just think it's 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 a, it's about as well as you can do with corporate superheroes, um, and personality disorders. I would say, <laughs> I'm sure there's some some navigation that has to be done, uh, because they're corporate entities. But yeah. yeah, and and I mean, I still think the idea of a Green Lantern that suffers from from chronic anxiety is a really great idea. And I'm kind of surprised that it's never like been a thing before. Well, you have to you have to realize, and I was thinking about this recently too. I just read somebody talk about this, and I forget who it was. And I apologize, writer on the internet, who's smarter than I am, that I am covering this from. They were saying that until Jeff Johns started writing uh, Green Lantern characters, it wasn't that the characters had the ability to overcome fear. So much as that they didn't feel fear. I guess that's true. And so, if you couldn't fear feel fear, say that three times fast, um, it's hard to have anxiety and be a Green Lantern. But yeah. but being able to overcome it opens that up to a much broader definition of sort of what you can do and who you are. Good point. Yeah, that's interesting. Like I said, someone smarter than me wrote that article. So thank you, smarter person. Uh, anything else to say about this issue? No, it was it was pretty good. Yeah, it was it was certainly fine. Um, 
I do every week I wish I liked this comic more than I do. But this issue was yeah. probably the best issue of it so far. Yeah. Uh it's that time of the week, guys. Hey Vince, <laughs> what happened to Harley Quinn this week? All right, so I'm actually prepared for this this week. Um it's a bad I read time. The, I read the issue in painstaking detail. <laughs> um so I'm I'm just going to walk you through it. When last we left Harley and the Joker, the Joker was waiting on a park bench for Harley Quinn with a bouquet of flowers and she was supposed to meet him there and they were going to discuss getting back together or something. Um, so, but what you find out instead, Red, Red Tool, the, the guy that's been tooling around with Harley um, <coughs> since before this series started, uh, set Harley's alarm forward so that it she wouldn't wake up on time. And he met the Joker in the park park and they have a little bit of a row that's not all that entertaining or funny but uh while harley is sleeping through the time that she was supposed to be awake she has this dream sequence where it's almost like part suicide squad where like she imagines her and the joker with kids and like a happy normal life in the suburbs you know but then that's intercut with other dreams of the Joker like physically and verbally abusing her, which is really like uncomfortable <laughs> to read. <laughs> and, um, and then, she, but then she wakes up, realizes her alarm clock was, you know, didn't go off at the right time, goes and meets the Joker, tells the Joker she's going to kill him because, you know, I think at one point she said, the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you, or it's going to be the last time I see you. And she ties him to a chair, puts him in the middle of a street in Brooklyn, and he gets, like, hit by a bunch of cars, okay? So he's, like, battered and bruised, tied to this chair. And at the end of the issue, she's dragging him away, saying she's going to take him someplace where she can finish the job. This was a really disturbing issue, you guys. <laughs> well, thank you for taking one for the team and reading this. Um... Yeah. You're welcome. Now, do we know which of the three Jokers this is? Absolutely not. Okay. It's going to turn out to be a fourth Joker. Because <laughs> <laughs> three is never enough. Yeah, exactly. Three is not quite twisted enough. Yeah. Uh, who else? But it is, it is company, though. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Come on, knock on my cave. <laughs> if Batman is three's company, okay. with the Joker... Oh, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, all right. All right. Suzanne Summers is... No, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, John Timms and Chad Chad Harden. Drew. Oh, okay. Um, I believe Chad Harden did the dream sequences, mm-hmm. and John Timms did all the rest. And um, okay, their art is really lovely. Like it they, is, yeah. They they draw some nice comics, but um... oh, uh, before I forget, uh, Mr. Roper is Alfred. All right, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I broke Vince. Oh boy. All right. Brings us to Justice League number 13, written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Scott Eaton. This is a Steve Trevor joint, a, a newly Van Dyke Steve Trevor joint. Um, All right. So if Bruce is Dick Van Dyke, <laughs> um, then his parents' death is the ottoman he keeps tripping over. <laughs> Okay, oh, so if if that if that last issue of Suicide Squad was a a good event tie-in, which I thought it was, this is on the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, I didn't care about this issue at all. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty um I mean, we love Tim Seeley, but I have no idea why this issue existed. They made the stakes about as low as you could make them for a superhero <laughs> comic. You know, like, I have to get to my niece and nephew. They're waiting for pizza. Like, yeah. it was, you know, come on. Since, since when is is Steve Trevor known as Master Chief? <laughs> that too. It was is making me laugh the whole thing? time. But now they call him that in Wonder Woman too. Do they? I guess yep. I've just missed that. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
that's weird. <laughs> I like when he was like, I'm still the Master Chief. I thought you thought you were reading a Halo tie-in comic? Yeah, I was like... I kept reading it as Master Chef. <laughs> He's like, I am the Master Chef. I have mastered French cooking. Fear me. I just, uh, yeah. Uh, something, something, um, Diana is Cortana now. That's a, that's a video game reference for Brian. Yeah, I got Guilt, it. Thank you. Guilty Spark. Yeah, oh, yeah. The Forerunners. Ah, Halo, a... Halo. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah, this this doesn't have a, a reason for existing, really. No. It was fine. There wasn't anything offensively bad. I, I, I did like how Steve Trevor carries like an 8x10 photo folded up in his wallet of his uh, sister and niece well, and that's nephew. always the best. Yeah. Um, the bigger the the bigger the photo, the better. Yep, that's what I always say. Uh, yeah, this is this is not necessary anyway. I, I wish, I know this will never happen because you know money, but I wish that just instead of having an issue of Justice League this week, it was enough to just have the tie-in issue. I mean, the crossover issue. Yeah. But there's me talking crazy again. But you know what? This is this is if it's if there was one bad issue in this crossover, that's fine, I guess. Yeah, sure, that works. These, these things go poorly more often than than not, so uh, I think it's okay. That is that is certainly a fair assessment. Um, it brings us to Nightwing number uh, thirteen, written by Tim Seeley again, illustrated by Marcus Toe. And um, who did the cover for this? It was a really striking cover. I don't know. I don't write the cover artist down when okay. I do this. Sorry. I'll look it up. You, you guys talk about this. I'll look up who did the cover. Zach, what did you this, think? I don't really uh, have much really new good. to say about it. It's just more, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I I've, I felt like the, the villain reveal was kind of super obvious. Uh, oh, the cover was... um. Marcus Toe. That's a Toe cover? Really? Yeah. Oh, it doesn't look like his stuff. It's good, though. Um, yeah, I just... Other than that, other than, like, the villain reveal being being very obvious, I this was still really good. Yeah, I agree. I, uh... I kind of hope they keep him in Bloodhaven, but I don't think that's actually going to happen. Yeah. Uh, did you guys read Superpowers number three? I did. Yes. I I haven't read it yet because I, I've actually been reading these with my daughter, so I uh, haven't sat and read it with her yet. So talk about it. Well, so you start to see more of the uh, more of the extended like DCU cast, like Supergirl shows up, Martian Manhunter shows up. I think the Flash shows up for a little joke. Um, but the best thing about the issue is that the uh, the baby that was born that clearly looks like Brainiac, they they name him Prime L. And so I think you know I think you know where that's going. Yeah, he's like the Superboy Prime. Of, yep. Don't do they call him that by the end of the issue? They do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Superboy Prime. Yeah. Um, I just I'm. A little confused. I I was hoping that like I would eventually like understand this through reading it, but I don't know how Superman and Brainiac are like stepbrothers or half brothers or something in this. It like like uh, Lara was like went through some weird thing in the spaceship and that messed with her pregnancy. Didn't they say that in the first issue? No, that was that was like that's like his the the super the primal, but isn't like somehow Brainiac himself like related to Superman in this? Didn't they say that? Yeah, they're like Are they brothers? Let me find it. I thought let me find the Oh, where is it? Oh, well, so like he oh, maybe not. Maybe I made that up. 
I thought that they were referring to the baby as Superman's half brother because it's the baby of his parents. Yeah, they they don't refer to it in this. I I misread a dialogue box, but I thought like in the first issue they had said that too. But maybe maybe I'm just way off. Um, yeah. So yeah, maybe I misread that. Oh, I think I think I I think I see what it was. There's a, there's a panel where like Brainiac comes up and says, "Proud day today, a father." But I think to to Jor El. But I think he's just like referring to the fact that he he had a a son. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have a lot of fun with this book. I'm looking forward to reading this issue. It's good. I wonder if it's almost too. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. But it's it's very it's very like. If you know your DCU and you know like kind of your Superman, if you know your way around Superman, it's it's really fun. And I wonder if kids, I I hope there's enough to keep kids like enjoying it. But like I'm I'm laughing because I'm thinking about all the little twists and turns they're putting on on established Superman lore. You know? Yeah, I mean, my daughter clearly gets the most surface level out of it. Yeah, you know. Um, and that's just the reality of, of reading this comic, I think, when you're not, like, a seasoned DC reader. Oh, no, here it is. There's a panel where Brainiac has his arm around Superman, and he says, congratulations, half-brother. So, yeah, yeah, they're, like, somehow related in this, and I don't understand it. Or did he mean that, congratulations, new half-brother? He says, congratulations, half-brother. Looks like we are all one big happy family. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Maybe that... Was that something in Superman Family Adventure? Maybe. Oh, well, I don't care. It's still <laughs> good. I just I just like, okay, they're brothers, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, that brings us to Superman number 15, Written by uh, Patrick Gleason and Peter Tomasi, and illustrated by a whole host of characters. Here we have Ryan Sook. We have who else? I'm I'm, I'm trying to do this from memory, but I'm going to mess it up. Um, Jorge Jimenez, I think. Yep, yep. And Ben Ed Benes. Isn't there one more? Clay Man. Clay Man. Yes. Clay Man. Yeah, you're right. This was a beautiful. I I loved the approach to this issue. Yeah, I did too. Man. It's such a treat to get Ryan Sook interiors. That, like, never happens. Yeah. Um, I just love... I love that they're going, like, all out, showing us all the different Earths, and... That's just so much fun. Under the impression, incorrectly, that this was a two-issue crossover, or two-issue um, arc, rather, because so much of the Superman book so far has been just two-issue stories. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so, no, it's a three-parter. So as I was reading it, I'm like, this is going to wrap up really awkwardly in four pages. <laughs> and then, of course, it doesn't, which is fine by me. It's really good. Um, I love the multiversal stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, this was one of the books that was covered in our Wrapping Wednesday piece this week by one of our new writers, Ben Birdie. And Ben said that, you know, it's one of those things where when, uh, when Morrison left there was a lot of lip service about how people were going to kind of continue doing the type of stuff Morrison was doing. People were going to pick up threads here and there, and nobody really did. And this is the first time that somebody has like effectively picked up a Morrison, a, a truly Morrison thread, you know, outside of Damian Wayne. Mm -hmm. And that's great. I love, uh, can we just run down the earth that we saw this time around? Yeah, sure, go let's for do it. it. That's so fun. So, so we saw. And t tell me if I'm forgetting any or anything, and and you know if you guys want to say anything about any of these, step in. So we we had Earth 14, mm -hmm. which is the Justice League of Justice Assassins. Justice League of Assassins, or as I call it, the yeah, it's the Gears of War Earth, basically. <laughs> yes. You look at them; they look like they're all Gears of War characters. Right, of course, and it and it has Harley Quinn as a member of the Justice League. Of course. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um. Then Earth-13, which is Camelot, where Etrigan is essentially Superman. Yeah, which I love. Super Demon. Um, that was an old... There was a there was a Camelot um, 
miniseries from like the oh, 80s or early 90s, maybe. Yes, there was. You mean um, Camelot 3000? Or... Yeah. I've never read that. I've always wanted to. Oh, it's good. You it has those it. like great Brian Boland covers and. Yep. Is is the war is the warlord part of that? Uh the warlord. Um, off the top of my head, I can't tell you. Okay. Uh, let me look. No, it's not, it's not a big deal. I don't know. I can't. Nah, I don't, I don't Who cares? Know. Who cares? Who cares? <coughs> um. Then we've got Earth Ten, which is like the Overman is the Superman uh, analog there, and that's like. The um, yeah, like the Nazi Earth, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the old Earth X. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Um, Earth twelve, which is uh, the Beyond Earth. Mm-hmm. You get to see Superman Beyond again, which I don't believe we've seen since the digital series. Is that I correct? think you're right. I yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, Earth eighteen is the Justice Riders with Saganoana, Super Chief. Um, and Earth 16, the Just, which is the Morrison Multiversity ben sort Oliver. of Young Justice. Yeah. Ben, uh, the Ben Oliver issue. Oh, yeah. Um, the Papar- Paparazzi Justice League, essentially. Yep. T- TMZ League. Um, and is that, that's it. Is that, was there anything else? I think that's all, yeah. Uh, wait, did you say, you said Earth 12. Did you say Earth 18? Justice yeah, Rider. Yeah, yeah, you said 16. And isn't there one more someplace? I think it's just those. They, there's like several pages of... of um, you said Earth 13. There's Yeah, there's six. Yeah. Because, um, again, in Ben's review of the, of the issue, he mentioned that there's an Earth that was not... that was not revealed in the Multiversal Guidebook. Oh really? Yeah, that like the only, the only other scene took place in the Orrery of Worlds, mm-hmm. the House of Heroes, which I think was on the map. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, and I mean, they were all like shown so in the in the guidebook, weren't they? Well, well I, I feel like, but not every Earth was shown in the guidebook. Some of them well, were like, like each one had a page though. But some like of them had, had no. Remember, some of them had like question marks and things around them. Well, oh, okay, I see what there, you're saying. There were four that were not, but if you Google them, the, the information is out there now. I'm pretty sure. Got Even it, the ones the with question marks. I don't know. Let's we'll save that one for later. We can correct ourselves next week if need be. Sure, that works. Um, yeah. But yeah, I even love the title of next week's issue or next issue of this Our Superman at War. So great. <laughs> so yeah. great. Um Superman is like the the definition of what I want out of a comic. Yeah. Especially a DC comic. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings us to our final issue of the night, Trinity number 5. This is uh Francis Manipal Fest again. With him doing uh, everything except for lettering, uh, Vince had texted us when this issue uh, came out that uh, Trinity is good again. <laughs> but he, I, I think you had a question mark. I think you said Trinity is good again. <laughs> um, I said Trinity is dot 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 good. Okay. <laughs> um, it's okay. I really liked this. This is better than the last two issues, but that's not that hard. I would say it's not as good as the first issue, but it's not – it's the best issue since that one. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The first issue was such a was such a masterpiece of tone and um, patience, you know? Yeah. Like that, that was a really special setup, and to spend the whole issue basically um, – establishing that friendship and showing how important it is was really special. And this was more or less a regular issue of a superhero comic. It was, there was nothing really special about it, but it was the best issue so far, I would say, because I thought it was really interesting what they did with uh, the dream world and how Mongol has been like living in the dream world, killing Superman. I did love that part. Yeah. He's just like, spending all his time killing all the different versions of Superman that he can dream up 
and um, it, yet it's not satisfying to him yet, you know. Uh, and and the the children, uh, Poison Ivy's children from the the Amy Chu Poison Ivy miniseries, come back, and they play a role in this. And um, I loved seeing Francis Manipal draw all those old Superman. Like you had the Superman with the white costume. You had the old, golden age. Yep, the golden age with the different ass on his chest. Again, it's a very like DC Comics multiversity type thing, sort of. And I really love when they do that because it makes it makes these heroes feel like they're legends, you yes. know. And that's that's what DC does for me, and my entertainment factor comes from them feeling like fables or legends or. Um, you know, myths. Legends of Tomorrow back on the CW. Yeah, which is okay. the opposite of what I'm talking about. No, there are some good parts of Legends of Tomorrow. I won't let you. Uh, I won't let you blaspheme that show. We got to see Star Girl on TV, dude. Yeah, that's true. Smallville did it first. That is true. <laughs> I would love for that to be a recurring thing on our show. Like Simpsons did it on uh, South Park. Smallville did it. Uh, but yeah, Smallville did do it first. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> Anything else to add about this issue, boys? Mm, no, I love the All-Star Superman nod that one was the best was that that was what that was the white suit i thought so yeah yeah i thought I'm so pretty too. Sure. yeah 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 um I, I was looking to double back on the the superman thing the the first earth the earth 14 that is one of the ones that had a question mark okay. so that one was revealed for the first time here yeah and what did we say that was again that was the justice league of assassins one yeah that's right yeah the gears of war Gears yeah. of War, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Well, that does it for this week of DC Comics, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, as always, we appreciate it. We hope you guys will enter our contest. You can win some free comics. And we hope that you are back next week to enjoy another ish- another episode of the DC 3Cast. Uh, until then, if you want to harass us on Twitter about our opinions or uh, suggest more tertiary Mad Men characters with their Gotham analogs. We would appreciate that. Oh, please do. Uh, yeah, let's, let's make this a thing, folks. Um, I am on Twitter at Brian Needs an App. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. And I'm at SirFox89. And, um, you know, I, I think we can all agree that Sal is Superman. And uh, see you next week. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, it's poor Salvatore. Sweet, sweet.